Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Hey guys, I'm very excited about today's episode. This is going to be a good one. I can uh, I'm just about guarantee this is going to be one of the uh, most listened to episodes of the year. It's a fantastic episode. We're going to be talking a lot about hip-hop uh, today, so we're going to be getting a lot of uh, new listeners that wouldn't otherwise be interested in a lot of the normal subjects that we discuss, and regular listeners may be wondering what hip-hop has to do with science. Um, Might I remind you, as I often need to remind myself and my producer, uh, Ramin Nazer reminded me of, um, science is by definition the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. So science is everywhere, my friends. Uh, That's a good thing to remind myself of. Um, So it's really fun to do episodes like this that are a bit different, and it helps uh, open my mind up a little bit um, as well. And, And I think in the next episode that I do with Adam, because I definitely want to have him on again. I would like to dive a little deeper into uh, hip-hop as poetry and and um, kind of the science of poetry. I didn't, uh, this is a pretty casual conversation. I kind of intentionally kept it that way because I have no business talking to an English professor, everybody, none whatsoever. My English is horrific. And uh, so, so I was... Uh, I was a little bit um, intimidated and just not so much intimidated, but just I I didn't want to dive too deep because I would have um, been exposing myself as a big old fraud, which happens quite often on this show. Um, But anyway, this whole spiel was really unnecessary um, because this is an amazing episode and you guys are going to love it. Uh, And if you do... 
Uh, make sure and go on iTunes, rate, review, share. I just had someone come up to me after um, after a show recently, said they're a listener to the show, and they were going to rate it. I didn't even tell ask them if they had rated it. Said they said they're going to rate it sometime as soon as they stop being lazy. So stop being lazy, everybody, and uh, review this podcast. It helps me out. It helps us out. It helps the professors on the show out. It helps you, the listener, out because I'll put more work into it. So it is a win for everybody. Hooray. Enjoy today's episode. And yeah, I'll talk to you at the back end of it. See you. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. We have a very special episode today. Uh, sorry, all of my other guests, <laughs> but uh, this, this is going to be one uh, I'm predicting that is going to get uh, more than average downloads. We're going to be talking a bit about hip-hop and, and music in general and poetry today. Uh, today, my guest is Adam Bradley, who is the professor of English here at the University of, uh, of Colorado in Boulder. And uh, he's the director of the Laboratory for Race and Popular Culture, a.k.a. RAP. Uh, which we were having a laugh yeah. beforehand because my my friend Peter McGraw, who who suggested our him, friend, our friend, <laughs> our friend Peter, uh, helped him out with the with the lab name. His, his lab name is the Humor Research Lab. It's called Hurl. If you haven't heard him on the podcast, and so Pete likes uh, silly <laughs> lab names. So we were having a good laugh about that. But um, Adam's yeah. Oh, I was asking you beforehand that I was like, I'm going to write this down but then you have too many books for me to remember <laughs> you're an author of how many books so far you have your sixth one coming out so that must mean five then huh? yeah yeah <laughs> i'm not a man right, right right let's see if there's one more coming out and there's six what what are uh can you give me a quick list of sure yeah uh book of rhymes the poetics of hip-hop that's, right. that's my first book i own that one excellent then uh, a book called ralph ellison in progress Another called Three Days Before the Shooting, which is Ralph Ellison's second novel. Uh, he didn't publish it in his lifetime, and, and I helped to co-edit this book 50-plus years in the making. And then I went back to hip-hop with the anthology of rap brought out by Yale University Press. And then finally, I wrote the memoir for the actor and rapper Common, One Day It'll All Make Sense. So that's the, the full Adam Bradley set at the moment. That's awesome. I've I've been watching um, Common on the television. I I, was, <laughs> I just finished uh, Hell on Wheels. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, he's awesome in that. Um, but I I especially like the anthology of rap. I I bought it, and then what I did was I went through. So it has these these four different um, time periods: the, the old school rap, yeah. and then uh, and then the golden age of rap, and the 
uh, rap goes mainstream, and then what is it? Modern new rap, millennium like, rap, like, something new, like that. New yeah, millennium yeah. rap, and I, I went through and I turned all four of those into four different playlists nice. on Spotify. And so I've been uh, I've been listening to those. I'm I'm now uh, almost done with the the last one, um, the further study. Uh, and um, and so it, it was worth the book just for an awesome <laughs> uh, playlist. But but yeah. it uh, the book has just little descriptions of each mm. rapper, and it gives a, a bit of history and then lyrics from uh, it's like some of the song. How how did you select the songs? I mean, that's that's really how we did it, Shane. I mean, I sat there with my co-editor Andrew Du Bois, who was a friend of mine from graduate school, and we started by constructing what we hoped would be the greatest mixtape of all time. So we just <laughs> put as many songs as we could possibly think of that could tell the story of this art form in beats and rhymes. And the list came out to something like, I don't know, a thousand songs. And of course, we can't publish that many lyrics in a book. So we had a wonderful advisory board of uh, you know, people who were at the cutting edge as DJs, hip-hop scholars, and so forth, sent them the list, and we said cut things out, add things in, you know, help to shape this. Was there a lot of fighting going oh, well, on? That's, that's the fun part. I mean, yeah. anybody who knows hip-hop knows that it's the most insular sort of community with such strong opinions that people have about what they love and what they think is whack. And, and so we, we solicited their opinions from these 20, 25 people, and we said, you know, send back a list of things you think we missed and cut out the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And we came back after tallying it all up, and we, I think they cut about 15 songs and added yeah. 500. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we had 1,500 songs, and, and then it was a really painful process of whittling that down to the point in which we could get it down to the 300 that presently exist. And so it was pretty easy to cut back down to 500 again, but it was a radically different 500 from where we had started. And that speaks to the nature of hip-hop as a community, a community of, of ears as well, listening for different things and hearing different music from different parts of the country. Yeah. And that, that was so that, that new list of 500 was so much richer than the one that we had devised as our greatest mixtape of all time. It was, it was amazing. But then the, the editors pushed us uh, to, to cut it down even more, and it, it became so painful, cutting from five to four, and then from four to three fifty, and then three fifty to three hundred was just criminal. The sorts yeah. of things that we, that we had to cut, because then you're talking about well, you have to cut a Biggie song, or you have to cut Red Man entirely. What are you going to do? <laughs> and you have those kinds of you know, yeah, really, yeah, that's heartbreaking. It is, it is. So we left some things uh, out, but then that's part of the fun as well, is to have the feedback from people about well, how could you forget that how could you, you why is this in but this isn't and, and add in permissions questions and you know right. the legal issues and that that adds another layer and we couldn't get outcasts for instance yeah i you saw know, that it's crazy yeah i know i, I still i went because outcast is one of my all-time oh, yeah. favorite and uh and i still went you, you still list the songs that you would have included. it's because i was so you. pissed off that we couldn't get it. i said I'm, I'm gonna and it wasn't it wasn't andre or big boy's fault it, yeah they yeah. probably didn't even know lawyers yeah they, you know so, so i said you know what we're gonna put it up as a kind of uh memorial <laughs> to what to what's missing to to the missing elevators me and you 
missing Rosa Parks, missing all this you know, amazing catalog, Bombs Over Baghdad, all of these tracks that are, are so... Yeah, Bombs Over yeah. Baghdad is, is maybe my favorite. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Incredible. Big Boy's amazing in that. Incredible. Um, I, uh, I was wondering, do you, uh, did you dedicate that to your wife? Because I was thinking, like, that's the greatest mixtape anyone's ever, ever made for anybody. You oh, missed man. out on an opportunity there. I know. My, my wife doesn't dig hip-hop too much, though. So at least she's, she has very, well, let's say she has very Catholic tastes when it comes to hip-hop. So she likes uh, Mob Deep. She likes the most hardcore kind of grimy stuff, yeah, which yeah. is which is cool. Like, when I met her, I mean, that was, she gained so much respect from me when I saw that she had the infamous, you know, Mob Deep's album there and i said I, I think i think we could get along but she mostly uh listens to to you know electronica edm things like that rather than than, than hip-hop so and i think she was particularly sick of hip-hop because i'd have my headphones on and the music be playing so loud in there just so i could isolate different sounds and yeah. different different words that i might as well have been playing it through speakers i mean it was so loud and so she'd kept having to tell me, oh, "Can you just turn it down a little bit, a little bit?" And, yeah, and she yeah. she heard so much of that beat coming out, seeping out of the the beats headphones. <laughs> I, I used to watch comedy every single day, and uh, and then I had um, I had girlfriends put an end to that. Even <laughs> even girlfriends that really liked it in the yeah. beginning loved it, loved watching it with me. Then it's like, all right, this is. I, I can't listen to as much as, <laughs> as you. Um, uh, let me let me give you a little bit of my history to yeah. one point out to the listeners that I am not nearly knowledgeable enough about <laughs> about hip hop, but I am a fan. This is you're actually this is this is pretty good timing because over the last year I've been listening to way more hip hop than I was. Like I I almost had like a couple two or three year break from a, yeah. where I wasn't really listening to much. But I so I started off. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, let's see. The first thing that I got into, I, I think I was like, "What? Oh, I'd have to check the year. You might even know, but I don't remember what year it was exactly. But I know it was Hammer Time. Oh, <laughs> was that ninety one? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So. I know I was very young. <laughs> I was like right around there, ten, eleven, yeah. something like that. That was before I liked music or anything really. Um, and and so that was the first thing that I got into. And then I didn't. I never got into Vanilla. I mm. never really got into uh, any of the other stuff um, around that time. That the other kids were listening to and then i remember when i was it was early teens i remember my uncle would play like nwa and yeah. stuff like that for me but i i couldn't really appreciate it i liked it because they like swore and stuff and i <laughs> thought that was really cool but i couldn't uh i couldn't really appreciate in fact i never really even appreciated it fully until recently with, uh, with the EC, film yeah, yeah. what do you think about straight out of compton i thought they did a pretty good job yeah what it wasn't i was worried it'd be kind of a after school special version of their story uh but it wasn't corny at all so that's that's a credit to what they pulled off and it's it's one of the the films i think that tells a part of the hidden history of hip-hop 
particularly as a West Coast phenomenon, because we think of it so much about you know the South Bronx and New York. You know what? This might be a good opportunity. Can you just talk a little bit? Because I found it fascinating. I didn't know any of that stuff and about the the actual origins. Yeah. And and this is something since I've been telling people I was going to be interviewing you, they're like, "How did hip hop start (laughs) anyway?" Um, Can you talk a little? Because I did think I did think the Bronx um, tale or of, of of kind of the creation of it was very interesting. Yeah, so hip hop emerges almost immediately out of a international context. You have this teenager from Jamaica, <clears throat> DJ Cool Herc, who comes with his family, moves in to the South Bronx on Sedgwick Avenue and brings his sound system with him. And it's that sound system that really cements his place in hip hop history. He starts throwing these parties, basement block parties and, and, you know, parties out on the park and and so forth. And you attracts a following because his system is louder. It pumps out more sound. And he starts playing this eclectic mix of music that uh, really starts to be the birth of hip hop, the emergence of hip hop out of soul music, out of reggae, dub in particular, and the focus on the breakbeat that we see in hip hop, where it's the isolating that part of the drum section that motivates the dancers, that mm. makes them crazy. And so hip hop begins, first of all, with the DJ, then really with the B-boy, the B-girl, the dancers. From there, you can think about graffiti culture. And only after that, do you start to get the MC, the rapper, the master of ceremonies for hip hop. Because it, 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 um, it, if I understood it correctly, it wasn't in the beginning. It was kind of just like these hype men that yep. would say stuff. It wasn't even kind of along with the music necessarily. It was kind of sort of be between songs or whatever, where people and, and sometimes a couple of the sentences would rhyme yeah. because that would be fun. But it wasn't <laughs> actually like rap over music, right? No, nah, it was like you know, come to the park at nine, you'll have a good time. You know, slant rhymes like that, or or other kinds of things that were about hyping the crew. Uh, advertising, the next show, whatever it may be, there was a lot of that going on. And and it's only when we get to uh, people like DJ Hollywood, who's 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 a radio DJ and brings some of that radio patter into the flow as well. And then finally to out-and-out MCs, Grandmaster Kaz, who, who helps define the art form of rapping to a beat. Grandmaster Kaz's notebooks fall into the hands of uh, the the sugar hill gang and that's how we get rappers delight mm-hmm. uh, then we get the the evolution of the rapping art form with someone like melly mel from grandmaster a flash and the furious five and he is to my mind at least the architect of modern emceeing we wouldn't have the jay-z's of the world the m&m's the kanye's without someone like melly mel yeah you know it's funny because it's if if I hadn't been doing, uh, you know, preparing for this interview, um, and someone would have just played me that stuff, I would have, I would have been like, man, eh, this isn't really my <laughs> thing. It's a little like hokey yeah. for me, you know, and uh, and 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 kind of uh, now that I, um, I, you know, had the opportunity to learn a little bit about the influence, um, I still have a lot more to learn, but uh, l- learning a little bit about the influence is, has made me appreciate it so much more because 
I would have that first playlist of yeah. of the um the old school, uh, stuff. The, the old Gold, school yeah. stuff. Yeah. I I would have never been able to make it through that with without the knowledge of you know the history of it all. Yeah, some of it is pretty pretty tough to hear now because <laughs> it's there are a couple things that are going on. One is the sing song nature of it. So it's it's you know a lot of MCs today are f- far more conversational in the way that they rap, and th- there's a natural nature to the speech patterns but back then it was clap your hands everybody it was this, yeah, this yeah, you know, yeah, effusive yeah. sort of over the top modular you know just crazy types of things like that and, and so part of it is that the artificiality of that part of it is the 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 number sheer number of rhymes and end rhymes and couplets you know i don't want to get geek out too much on the literary but you know the the rhyme couplets following one after another I mean, that can get monotonous really quickly. Mm-hmm. And part of it as well is the the themes. I mean, so much of it was about the party, was about how dope you are and so forth. And that those are still key elements of what hip-hop is today. But rap's uh, body of themes has broadened so widely that it encompasses pretty much all of human experience now. I mean, right. you've got raps about teaching your kid how to ride a bicycle or raps about the universe. You have raps that cover just about Deltron everything Deltron 3030, rapping, <laughs> rapping from the year 3030. There you go. About, about like <laughs> corporate corruption and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it is amazing. And then there's um, uh, like atmosphere and yeah. it's like with something that I'm way into, which is just... I'm I'm from Wisconsin, yeah, and and so uh, them being from Minnesota, it's just like this is this really is what life is like there. It's it's not you know about Cavassier or whatever. It's about drinking out of a flask and having hangovers <laughs> and, and uh, smoking too many cigarettes and that yeah. sort of thing. You, you know, when I was uh, when I was kind of reading about this, it, it struck a chord with a lot of um, or or rather. Uh, I noticed a lot of comparisons kind of with the with the history of comedy, how, mm. um, it, you know, kind of just what you said, uh, comedy went through a similar thing where if you listen back to a lot of old comedy, it's very like hokey and sticky and like. Like this is a this is a character like take my wife please or whatever, which I which I love I still yeah. you know I still love listening to all of that stuff but it wasn't um, you know m- over time comedies become much more genuine um, it, it's also become more absurd as well sure but uh, but in the beginning it was very much like here's a one liner or whatever and yeah. and um, and it wasn't whereas now it's like Louis C K just kind of talking. You know, yeah, talking yeah. about his life, and or, and or at least giving the impression that that's all he's doing. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So part of it is the artifice as well. The, the 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 way that it's presented as being off the cuff, even though it's it's never that. And that's that's the thing I think that's so marvelous about hip hop, and something I learned in hanging out with MCs. Someone like Common, for instance, who doesn't write down any of his rhymes on the page. Really? Yeah, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't put a pen pen to pad ever anymore. And so I'd be driving around with him, interviewing him about, uh, for the book, just about his life. He was dating Serena Williams at the time. So, you know, I'd be giving him relationship advice. That didn't work out so well. They broke up. <laughs> but, uh, and then he'd say, oh, man, i got to take a break. And he'd put in a beat CD from his producer. And he would just start doing what I, I like to think of as the Rain Man thing, where he's just, <laughs> just kind of fiddling with syllables and sounds and you know, this and that over and over and again and, and actually going through a process of composition 
until he can extemporize a whole line. And when he delivers it on the fly, it looks like he's coming up with it in the moment, but it's actually the product of so much labor. So I think there's a connection too with, you know, and you're far more expert at, in the comedic Actually, that's, realm, but, that's kind of Louis C.K.'s problem. Yeah. He says he never writes down. Um, he says he just kind of, you know, gets on stage and just lets it flow out. And then there's, you know, you just kind of remember what worked and what didn't. And you yeah. kind of start honing and tightening and then expanding. And, and, and you're not showing the work, but the work is there. It's behind it. And it couldn't be what it is were it not for the work. I mean, it's the same thing with Kanye when he went to record the vocals for Yeezus in Paris, uh, Rick, Rick uh, Rubin said that he just came into the studio, Kanye just came into the studio, was there about 25, 30 minutes and left. Mm-hmm. And Rick Rubin's saying, how the hell did he just do that? <laughs> and meanwhile, Kanye says, oh yeah, well maybe it took me that long to say the words, but I've been composing them for hours and hours and hours and hours and months and weeks and, yeah. and on and on and on. So the labor is, is behind it, but I mean, I think that's one thing where at least as a, as a lover of comedy, where I see a connection to hip hop is that you don't want that work to show usually sometimes, but not, not always. You, you want to be able to enjoy the sense, the, 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 uh, the myth maybe even of, of the ease of it, the naturalness of it, that yeah. you are seeing it happen right before your eyes for the very first time. And and that is the illusion with with uh, comedy a lot of times as well. It's shocking to me <laughs> how many people come up to me afterwards and they're like, "So do you just like is every show different? You just come up with that off the top <laughs> of your head? Like no one in the world is that smart or or clever or whatever. Even and I'm not saying that my material is all that smart or clever. What I'm saying take the take the dumbest comedy act on yeah, earth yeah. there there isn't a person alive that can just make that up off of the top of their head you know <laughs> it, it takes work but that's definitely the illusion that you're kind of trying to provide of of spontaneity and and um i i don't know what it's like for a musician but yeah. as, as a comic you kind of have to be like okay i'm having fun right now and like kind yeah. of <laughs> cracking yourself up and and stuff a little bit or or acting as if you're cracking yourself up i i wonder uh i i guess i would have to talk to a rapper about this but but uh <laughs> you know when you're having a bad day and you have to do a <laughs> concert and you don't and you just like don't feel like you have the energy and got off the plane and you know are dead tired and everything. I, I mean, else I've seen it. I've seen it. it. I've seen it myself firsthand. I mean, I remember I was with Common in Chicago and he was doing some sort of show in a suburb of Chicago. Chicago was his hometown, so he had lots of family around and saw them. And you know, there was as with all families, always some drama. And I remember he was he was upset, and we were on this. You know, bus or whatever tour bus thing heading out to buttfuck Chicago suburbs, yeah. and end up at this. It's like almost like a roadhouse restaurant uh, that also is a concert venue, and he he's just not feeling it. But it was amazing to see as it got closer to showtime, mm-hmm. he started getting himself hyped up, and then when the, he was in front of the crowd, you could see that he was feeding off of that dynamic, that energy in the room. Because for some of these people, this was the only time in their life that they would ever see Common perform. Right. And so he knew that he was going to bring it uh, that night, and he did, and it was dope. And so I think, you know, there's something that Chris Rock actually said in one of the early 
early Mark Maron pa- podcast, I think. He was talking about comedy. He was talking, unfortunately, about Bill Cosby, um, <laughs> yeah. pre all the drama. Right, right, but, right. but he said, you know, Cosby. I, I have a Cosby <laughs> reference in my Netflix special <laughs> before all the drama. It's like, ah, I couldn't go and edit that out of there. Jeez, but, but the point, you know, the point yeah. still stands here. He said, you know, Rock says, you know, Cosby, the thing about it is if you go back and you look at his jokes, they aren't that funny necessarily. Right. But something in his persona, in his performance, wills it to being funny, that he believes so thoroughly in what he's doing and commits so thoroughly to it that through that conviction, he makes it funny. And I think that often happens with MCs, too, the, the nature of your conviction, the yeah. nature that can, can make the, all the difference. You in can't how have me goes. get up there and be like, hey, uh, would everyone please... Um, uh, throw your hands in the air <laughs> and then you know just wave them around like you don't care. Would you mind doing that for me? <laughs> it party. wouldn't have the same effect. You party people in the house. <laughs> um, uh, so um, before I, I kind of cut you off, but I thought it was uh, was necessary just because I wanted. I, I don't think um, a lot of people listening to this aren't, aren't going to. I know I certainly didn't know anything of the scale of the history but but uh so i stopped you to explain the east coast stuff when yeah. when we were getting into the straight out of compton can we go back to uh that and how a lot of people don't um realize the uh the origins of that western influence well it's i think it's just part of that story of of the west coast and how the west coast emerged as really the the hottest place for hip-hop in the 90s and that particularly the early 90s late 80s early 90s hip-hop center of gravity shifted a bit and of course we saw by the near the middle to end of the decade how it all exploded in the violence the death of biggie and tupac and, mm-hmm. and all the other kinds of bi-coastal beefs but it's it's important to remember the purity of the motivation for some of these young artists who were dealing with a, a kind of gang culture that the East Coast really didn't know mm. in the same way, certainly not at that time. And, you know, drive-by shootings, uh, the nature of the LAPD and the police enforcement, uh, the battering rams, all of these sorts of things that were part of the everyday experience of a young person in Compton, in Watts, South Central, Cali- South Central Los Angeles, California. So I, I think that's a story that these East Coast MCs told, Ice-T, you know, being a kind of griot, a storyteller, a poet of the West Coast, chronicling both the lived experience but also mythologizing and elevating it to a point in which it would become something far greater than just petty crime. Six in the morning, police at my door. Yeah, you know, fresh Adidas squeak across the bathroom floor. I mean, all, all of this taking a, a petty criminal and making his story something that would matter, humanizing that character, understanding the complexity behind those who were committing crimes, and you know, not necessarily uh, forgetting about those people. And and so that's something that is an, is a part of gangster rap beyond the. You know the bitches and hoes and right. Glocks and all of that stuff. The the other thing that it did was to tell these stories that were part of people's everyday realities and were were far more complex than were understood in the in the popular culture at the moment. 
It's interesting that rap seems to, much more than other genres, um, kind of uh, bubble up from these very desperate uh, situations. I mean, I mean it, 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 it would, I can't even think of um, too many people, like a hip-hop person with like a privileged life that, it, that there, there's this, oh shoot, what's the name of there's a comedian that does um, raps like Everyday Normal Guy is like the name of the song. Have you, have you heard that? Vague. It's ringing a vague, bro. It's, it's basically just... To, Google it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just... Oh, shoot. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. He's a pretty funny guy. But, it, but it'd be like me like rapping about um, you know, growing up in a small Pleasantville town in Wisconsin where both of my parents are together and you know but isn't that part of what hip-hop's done though in 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 the ways that it's changed since its origins is that now it does have those voices I mean that's what made for some people Eminem so remarkable but also Mm. even before Eminem Will Smith Will Smith you know coming from Will Smith because Eminem's still like you know eight mile and stuff that's still it's still pretty hardcore but but yeah parents just don't understand Will Smith you know uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That was still in the days when the DJ got more credit than the rapper. <laughs> he got you know the top billing. But I mean, think about those songs. Those songs are stitched in my early memories of hip hop, uh, and the videos as well that that were much more of a you know, telling a story that was more familiar to me. You know, because right. I grew up in the hip hop hotbed of Salt Lake City, Utah, <laughs> in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine that, uh, you know. All the gang warfare. Oh, and, and, and this shit was real. Yeah, <laughs> um, there, yeah there's all, all the different Mormon sects there. <laughs> there like, having, uh, uh, well, well, it's, it's not drive-by shootings, but it's almost as, I mean, they'll still, have you camping out in your basement when they come like <laughs> knocking at, at your door. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, so my first actual, um, the, the first time that I really got into an artist was, uh, like I said, you know, NWA in that time period and stuff was, I, I was a little too young to fully get it. Yeah. And then, um, Biggie was oh, like man. the first time I heard, those big lips go baby baby <laughs> was like I, I was like oh this is amazing yeah. um and and uh, and it it really it changed my sensibilities it was weird because i didn't i need to start listening to more tupac because at the time i just couldn't i i think just because i wasn't maybe the style of music i it didn't click with me as much and i wasn't paying attention to the words because tupac seems like the one that from a literary point of view, people are studying the most. Um, you know, like, like yeah. Yeah, your yeah. books are all about how this is, pe- people don't think about hip hop as poetry. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and I guess that's kind of part of the trick of it. Uh, that's right. Right. That they're yeah. able to take something that uh, years before was, you know, maybe, uh, um, gangly, uh, a little a white dude doing some um, spoken <laughs> word and people like snapping their fingers yeah, to yeah. it or whatever. And then to take the same thing and turn it into like this huge, hardcore, booming sound um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, uh, is, is kind of amazing. 
Well, you know, I, I write about the whole Tupac Biggie thing in Book of Rhymes, and I, I recall this road trip I took with a friend of mine who was an editor at the Source magazine, which was the hip-hop Bible, basically, is for hip-hop journalism. And you know, he was a diehard, diehard Tupac guy. And this is probably uh, like early 2000s. So both of Biggie and Tupac are gone at this point. Mm-hmm. But their their legacies have only grown. And I, on the other hand, like you, Shane, I'm a Biggie guy. Uh, all right. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, I don't know what it is about the Tupac folks. They, they tend to be so... Uh, elitist with their stuff. Like they won't even allow Biggie into the top ten most often. <laughs> but as a Biggie guy, I would say, well, they're both top ten. But yeah. but for for my friend, he, he's like, man, you know, Biggie wouldn't even make my top thirty. And just talking <laughs> talking crazy. So so we spent this <laughs> whole this talk. whole trip. You know, we were driving from uh, Miami to to uh, Boston, and we're in the car in this this U-Haul with a little. Uh, CD player balanced in between us and and just playing songs from each of the artists uh, back and forth and having this argument. <laughs> and to me, so to me, I mean, it was interesting that you say that that Tupac probably gets more esteem from the literary world. And I think probably that's right. And par- partly it has to do with his themes, that he has the Dear Mama songs. He has these songs that are, are serious. He has that voice that has a kind of preacherly quality, the way that he flows is in keeping with a, a kind of uh, a certain kind of oral tradition in the mm-hmm. African American context, but for me, as far as wordplay, as far as a conscious exercise of linguistic agility, no one beats Biggie. I mean, when I listen to Biggie, it sounds it's like magic to me. It's like it's like he somehow is using the perfect words. And they just happen to rhyme. It, 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 it's like he didn't. It, it, it just seem, like seems so effortless. Yeah. You know, it, it's like he didn't. It, you know, sometimes you'll listen to hip hop and and you'll hear th- some things where it's like, well, that was kind of crowbarred in there to <laughs> to make the poem yeah. complete. The you yeah. know the 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 rhyme complete. And I never felt like Biggie. It just seemed like. If he was just sitting there talking to you, he would be saying the exact same thing. I know that's not the case, yeah. but that's that's the way it makes me feel. You know, just how effortless it was. Yeah, and I'd be curious to to know what you think about this. But I've I've always thought about Biggie as a kind of stand up in a way, as a, as a certainly as a, a rapper with a comic sensibility. Oh yeah, and a comic sensibility of of a of an order that most MCs aren't because. At least in, in my rough uh, theory of comedy and hip hop, I think about the raps in which the joke is on you, it's on another person. So diss tracks, things like that. Right, right. And then the next level would be the jokes on us, where it's like the Jerry Seinfeld level of of rap. Where right, it's, right. It's you know these observations. You know, have you ever been over to a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? Yeah, you know, yeah, from, yeah. from the, the the Sugar Hill Gang or something where it's you know. In that kind right, of right. collective. And then the, the next level, the, the highest level to me of achievement in the comedic hip hop sense is when the joke is on the rapper, him or herself. Yeah, and and yeah. Biggie was always able to do that. I mean, think about even the, some of the most painful uh, moments of his life. He turns into the comic or the moments that would seem to be the most hamstringing for an MC, something like attacking 
attacks on his manhood, like when the rumor went out that Tupac was sleeping with Biggie's wife, Faith Evans. Right. And and Biggie comes out with a song and says, uh, if Faith had twins, she'd probably have two Pacs. Get it? <laughs> two Pac. <laughs> and just at that moment to, to be in the position of the cuckold, I guess we call it, yeah, in, yeah. in the high literary sense, and, and, and yet uh, to embrace it, to embrace the comedy, to embrace the joke being on himself has such a powerful humanizing impact. And I mean, the comedians that I always go to, certainly the stand-ups, people like Richard Pryor, always have at their core this sensibility of the joke being on himself. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, to me, um, to me, Eminem is the funniest rapper uh, that I've ever heard. Um, I, again, I don't listen to nearly enough stuff, so there's maybe some other people out there that are that are funny or whatever. But but he, I mean, I feel like he does all three. And I think in the beginning, it was much more like shock value, and and it wasn't as well. He did make fun of himself like a fair amount. It's what's interesting to him is he goes out and like attacks and like. And it says like a lot of, like you know, misogynist things and other things like that that I don't agree with. But it, but it's like so over the top and absurd yeah, that yeah. I don't think he's actually. It, I, it, and then he'll like make fun of people that think he's actually um, talking about you know encouraging people to murder women or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and like in the song "Stand," for example, like I'm just joking when I say that stuff, dog. Mm-hmm. When he's mm-hmm. and um, but I remember. So I hadn't even listened to Eminem for for years until I saw Straight Outta Compton because at the end they show, you know, all the different influences. And I was like, I wonder if I still would like Eminem now that I'm like a little older because I used to I loved it when it first came out. And I listened. I think his newest album is his best work to date. It's incredible. And when I first heard it, like the first couple tracks, I was like, ah, this is, I am too old for this. It's just the same (laughs) crap, like, uh, like making fun of beating women and all this stuff that I don't really want to hear about. But then he starts like making fun. Like, it's like he just did that to build up, Hey, this is my character. And then he just cuts down his character Hmm. through the, and kind of explores that and, and how people perceive him through the rest of the album. And I just think it's absolutely genius. I mean, and it's a dangerous kind of genius though, at the same time. And, and hip hop has always had a space for that. Hip hop is rebel music. Rap music is rebel music. Hip hop is a rebel culture in many ways. And, and even when it's also a multi-billion dollar industry, it still has the space for that kind of risk taking at its best. And, and so I think Eminem is a, is a model of that. I mean, it's, for me, it's hard to listen to too much Eminem for too long because it's just so intense yeah. to, to listen to his stuff. And, I like also it kind of cracks me up that he can like only come from this insane anger this place of anger is like the only thing that can drive him like even when he has he has these beautiful songs like <laughs> like he'll apologize to his mom for having like cut her down or or write writes a song to Haley or his daughter or something like that yeah. And even in these like kind of beautiful songs with these beautiful words, these very like heartfelt things, like he just he can't get through a single song without having to just yell and like explode at some <laughs> point. It's like that's where all of his creative drive comes from. It's it's uh, that is the one critique is uh, that I would say is like 
I wonder if I wonder what it would sound like if he could come from some yeah. other places once in a once in a while. Yeah. And he does show that vulnerability and stuff, but it's like, ah, I can't get through it. I, I, I was trying to play some to a lady um, a while back, and and uh, and she's like, oh, he's so angry though. Yeah, I'm like, well, let me play this one instead uh, because this is a sweet. And I was like. Oh no, that's angry. That's, that's angry. <laughs> it's, all, it's all very. And angry. part of that is is persona, and you think about that's another connection. I think to to the, the the comedy side of things is a lot of rappers are portraying characters, uh, even if that character doesn't go by a different name like Slim Shady or Eminem mm, yeah. for Marshall Mathers. I mean, Nicki Minaj is is portraying a character character caricature caricature and a character actually mm-hmm. if we can combine those two words at different times and and part of the power of of that is is uh it allows you to take chances that otherwise you in your everyday life wouldn't it's putting on that that cape the cape of the the caped uh MC who's able to to you know leap tall buildings in a single bound and and right. from the very beginning hip hop did that with Curtis Blow with uh, who was the first solo uh, MC signed to a major label, with Cool Modi, with all of these kinds of early hip hop figures, there was a a costume and a, and a caricature and a character involved. They were they were emulating a certain uh, view of what young black masculinity would look like, for instance, and in the process also undercutting it, challenging it, expanding the space to let the human being in mm. as well. That's interesting. And again, there's like another um, parallel with comedy where a lot of that is, uh, we are kind of, even even when, um, like I sound a little bit different on stage than I do in regular life because it's, it's like, it's aspects of myself amplified a little bit, you know, and, and, and you do need to have something like that just to be able to command an audience. And, but, um, you know, you look at someone like Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. and the Colbert, the Colbert report, and, and that's very clearly a character, but even someone like John Stewart is still, I mean, John, John Stewart hosting a show isn't that far off, but it's still yeah. different oh, than, yeah you know, just sitting and having a conversation with him. He's not going to just be yelling about <laughs> politics the whole time or whatever. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And so we were talking about, um, you know, the, the taboo, you know, hip hop has kind of this long, what, what's, what is your take? This is, a, you know, one of the big arguments with, with hip hop is there's, um, or critiques is, is that there's too much misogyny, too mm-hmm. much, um, uh, you know, homophobia, too much, uh, encouraging violence, and um, you know that that this is this is kind of dangerous for our culture because it's um, you know presenting these these negative ideas. Or I, I'm not phrasing that as well as I would like to, but but what, what's your take on all of that? Is in hip hop, yeah. misogyny, the sexism, homophobia, violence garden variety curse words you shit damn motherfuckers <laughs> you know all of that mm-hmm. is there and words of more specific offense the n-word the b-word all of that is in there and it's a problem at the same time it's also something that the music itself contextualizes challenges and 
enriches our understanding of how this fits into our culture. Because if you want to find gangsterism in the world, it's not as much in hip-hop as it is in our global politics. If you want to find violence, we can just look at the newspaper. Right. If you want to find misogyny and sexism, look in the disparities in income between what my mother makes uh, when she worked in the computer game industry and what her her uh, her male counterparts oh, yeah. made. You know, I mean, just trying there. to get trying to get guests for this podcast and uh, academics and so I, I mean, I do I try to like go out of my way to try to get more females on or or uh, uh, you, you know different um, uh, you know minorities or or what and it's difficult to do. Sure. It, it's there's there's definitely not an equal representation in academia and most of my guests are straight white dudes yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know no, no matter no matter how much i make a conscious effort for that to not be the case i'm only half white <laughs> so, <laughs> so that helps a little for you your demographics uh, but now that it's it's it is so to get back to your original question i think i'm increasingly aware as a listener, just speaking as a, a listener and a lover of hip-hop, of the, particularly the misogyny and the sexism. I mean, it's, it's tiring. Mm -hmm. It's different to listen to that as a 19, 20-year-old, young, dumb, and full of something guy. Yeah, and you're and, angry and frustrated yeah. and everything else when you're that young. And, and to be listening now at 40 is a very different right. kind of experience. And, and I won't play the card of, well, I have two daughters, but I do. And, yeah. and that does enter my mind a little bit and, and certainly affects my playlists when I drive them to school in the morning. Uh, so, so there's, there's that, but I, I do think that hip hop has always created a space in the culture and rap music in particular for us to have other narratives about those same matters, about gender, about sex, about, uh, inequality and i think of mc light one of the pioneering uh, women mcs in the 80s said that if it weren't for hip-hop who would listen to a young black girl from a poor community with the things that i had to say without right. hip-hop i wouldn't have a voice so as we see the globalization of hip-hop and hip-hop becoming the voice of the voiceless whether it's in being the soundtrack to the arab, arab spring whether it's being uh, the voice of folks from all sorts of underrepresented communities, it creates that space. And hip-hop is just a, a vessel through which people can express themselves. And if you only have stupid, ignorant things to say, then that'll become clear very quickly. Right. And if you have something more challenging, more exciting, more enlivening to say, that'll also become clear. So it's not hip-hop's fault. Hip-hop itself is not sexist. Yeah. It's some of the people who are in it that are. And it's a little bit seems like it's maybe a little bit self-correcting in a way too as it as it advances because that just you know that stuff gets kind of tired, and then it which yeah. opens the door to comment on how like kind of cliche that is, and then then as as rappers themselves age and like become more mature, it seems you know they, I, I you know talk about Eminem being misogynist, but he also makes points that like if anyone ever talked about my to my daughter the way that i talk about women <laughs> like i would kill him you, you know so he is there's still like this self-awareness and and uh yeah um what what about what about the the kind of the history of of 
of that. So when you watch Straight Out of Compton and and see like the uh, you know fuck the police song, and I I didn't realize that police were actually like ban. They were trying to ban them from. I I I didn't you know I was I guess I was too young at the time, but I didn't yeah. even know that was a thing that was happening. And uh, it, it wasn't it. Did I read in something about I. I think in one of your books I read that one of some some rap artists was the first parental advisory. Um, well, I know that that Two Live Crew was pretty early on mm-hmm. with the parental advisory sticker. I know that the Ice T got one pretty early on, <laughs> and, and, but nonetheless, I mean, you also had Marilyn Manson right. and a lot of other artists that in that initial hit list of of music that people were concerned about and. And, you know, that that sticker, I think, that parental advisory sticker, which now is is pretty much, I mean, if my album doesn't have that, I'm worried. Yeah, exactly. Now it really doesn't serve the same purpose of pushing you away from the music, if it ever did. Uh, but hip-hop has always been an unruly kind of expression that didn't want to be governed and, and pushed against that. And uh, the, the music creates a space for language in a way that other genres don't as, ex- as, as expansively. I mean, if you put a, a Beatles lyric up beside an Eminem lyric, you're going to have twice as many words per song, if not more in an Eminem lyric than you will in, in Norwegian wood. Right. You know, there's just going to be more words per, per minute coming at you. And that might be as, as uh, Keith Richards once said, of rap you know, recently, actually, so many words, so little sense. Often it is that, but often there is a tremendous amount of complexity and sense that's put into that space that the beat allows for rappers to expound, to express, to plumb their, the depth of their own psyches, to think about their communities, to explore the world through language. And that's why, as a literary scholar, this this music is so fascinating to me because there's so much that's going on in the words themselves. Right. Yeah, I I do think that w- w- one of the things that I enjoy about rap, it, well, it's kind of two-sided, um, which is, one, lots of rap is so straightforward and um, just an interesting, very clear way of communicating ideas, whereas, say... I was I was a big Nirvana freak. I was huge into Nirvana. It was like my first love. But uh, Kurt Cobain, for for as many interesting lines and thoughts and everything else, he would often m- most of his stuff was like, "Here's here's an interesting idea or line or whatever," and then here's just some nonsense just to rhyme or, or yeah. throw you off. Or he like a kind of intentionally liked yeah. messing with yeah, people. Like a, so people a mulatto, <laughs> albino, a mosquito, my libido. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what that means exactly. Uh, and and uh, that's that's what I appreciate about, about hip-hop, but there's also these um, uh, opportunities for artists to really make you i mean there's artists that really make you work for it too like uh i'm into aesop rock uh, who is just like i mean i could listen to his songs over and over again and still like i think i sort of (laughs) get what what he's saying there and i know it's something interesting but but it's i think this guy is just too smart for me (laughs) he's just like a very bright dude he's something else you know and we have we have him featured in the anthology and 
and uh, we have a lyric from him, No Regrets, and, and one other. And, and I remember sending and you know, getting in touch with his people and finally getting in touch with him directly and sending him our transcriptions for him to look at. And he was so generous with his time and so concerned with how his words looked on the page. Mm. And it, it was wonderful just to see the attention that he gave to his language and to the shape of his language and how it would be viewed, not just heard, but how it would be read as well. Mm. Um, it, and I, it's also, this is an exciting time for stuff like that because there's also like a, a rap genius. Yeah. Where, where genius now, and, genius. Oh, is it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now they do it with all songs. They right? do it with everything. They're going to do the whole internet. They're going to annotate the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but that's, so, so I got like really obsessed with um, Deltron 3030. Oh, yeah. And uh, well, what happened was after my break, so so I got into Biggie, and then I was yeah. into uh, Eminem, I think was my next one, and then um, Outkast I really, really got into. And then uh, and then I, I liked a lot of other stuff. I just never got obsessed with anything else. And then um, one day I was listening to some rock Pandora station that I have, and Lyrics Born came on. Oh, yeah. And there's a song... Um, uh, bad dreams uh-huh. um that just i was just in this particular kind of mood and it just really struck me and then i made it, it him his own station and then from that i got into um uh, the, the, like some other stuff like in, uh nappy roots and and um mm-hmm. um uh, br- brother oh ali? I, I, yeah brother ali and yeah. And then, but when I heard Deltron 3030, I was like, what in the world is this? And I started listening to that like every day. And then I had to go on Rap Genius at some yeah, point to yeah. be like, what, what's he talking about there? Because he's got like physics in there. Oh, man. Yeah. Chemistry and a uh, really bright dude. I met him actually. He's really cool. Really? Uh, I mean, you meet rappers all the time, but <laughs> I, I never get to. Um, and uh, so, anyway, just commenting on on how great rap genius is what's some of the other stuff that i i oh just the other day um i got into something nine pack as a pack nine tech nine tech nine yeah yeah, yeah yeah talk about you know someone with a gift for flow i mean the the speed with which he can deliver words is just insane <laughs> yeah you know, and but he he's I shouldn't say this to probably come get me, but he was one of the last cuts from the anthology. He was one of those painful uh, final yeah, yeah, cuts yeah. from the book. And I was kinda part of me was glad because trying to transcribe <laughs> his flow and get those words down would right. be so so hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I was I was going to say back with the um parental advisory thing yeah. that it that it sort of in and seeing the straight out of Compton, it sort of reminded me of looking at the history of comedy where like Lenny Bruce was going to jail for public hmm. indecency for just, you know, yeah. standing up and talking about politics or, or whatever. And, and you know, George Carlin, it, it is again, like that kind of double edged sword where you get a, all this controversy, but also attention at the same time. Yep. Like George Carlin, most people know seven dirty seven words, dirty words, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, <laughs> And and then, you know, it kind of evens out after a while. I guess comedians still push the boundaries, but there's not 
no one's like making news short of like Michael Richards who yeah. you know just wasn't a comic and didn't really know what wasn't a stand up and didn't really know what he was doing um and just lost his temper but that but that wasn't like his comedy or anything there there's no one like getting in a lot of trouble for their comedy anymore mm-hmm. even even Louis CK who's pushing it with any taboo topic he can think of no no one's i mean he's still on like getting invited to be on like morning tv shows and stuff like that <laughs> which is and now that's what like where hip-hop's at now now you can oh, yeah. uh, you know put comment on uh, on you know morning uh, uh you know talk shows yeah. or, or he's on whatever. sesame street uh, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so it, it is kind of interesting yeah. that that when when people first hear this stuff they're like this is so dangerous yeah. oh my goodness and then it's like oh okay i guess there are uh, things to be appreciated. Do we lose something in that, though? I wonder you know, if, if we lose some of the energy of the art. I mean, that's always the risk that when it becomes mainstream, when it becomes institutionalized, when it is accepted without that kind of fear, whether it still has its potency. Mm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in a way, I guess more ears are getting to hear the message, sure. but maybe the message isn't as powerful as it used to be i i don't know that's a that's an interesting thought um so before we uh start wrapping up here um <laughs> i have just because this is uh i feel like we could talk for three hours yeah. about this um but um it, okay before we wrap up what is uh each week i have my guest plug a charity of their choice yeah so so i'm really concerned with music in education and mm-hmm. making sure that, uh, particularly in the public schools, that it uh, isn't lost. And so you know, the, the, the goal of some of the work that I've done has been to bring music into the classroom. I wanted to talk about yeah. this. And in, in, uh, uh, th- this is in closing. I wanted to yeah. make sure that we... And, and so... And we, I, don't, I have no time constraint. I just... So we can talk as long as we want. <laughs> I just have to... So, so the, the, the charity that came to my mind is a long-standing charity that does amazing work in bringing music into the schools, and that's VH1's uh, Save the Music Foundation. Mm-hmm. And they, they work across the country to ensure that schools where music education is being lost, that there's a place for music brought back into the schools and that young people can play instruments, can be exposed to a wide variety of music, and in doing so really expand their education and their minds. Hmm. I've never heard of that. That's uh, that's interesting. And, and you've you've done a lot of work going into uh, schools and and teaching um, hip hop kind of as poetry uh, to kids, right? Yes, I mean that's one of my passions is to find new ways of getting kids excited about the language arts. And one of the ways that I found to do it is through hip hop, specifically through rap lyrics and more generally through popular music, because lyrics are a space in which language comes alive through sound in a way that it, it, it doesn't often happen in reading a novel or a poem or a play. There's something so powerful to be able to identify a simile, a metaphor, a certain figure of speech, a rhythm pattern, a rhyme scheme in a lyric, and to feel it through the sound to experience it as something pleasurable and not as something foisted upon you. So I've seen a, a real exciting moment 
of awakening among the students that I deal with where I'll, I'll come in and, and we'll go through a lyric together and sometimes it'll be something from the anthology but often it'll be something that the students themselves suggest. I wanted them to basically rip their headphones off and tell me what they're listening to. Right. And then we'll look at it because there's no matter what song it is, whether it's, you know, Katy Perry or, or Kendrick Lamar or whomever, there's something that we can use to, to unlock the mystery of, of language as a, a form of literary expression. So that's, that's really what I've been doing both here in the, in the Colorado area and, and more broadly through efforts in connection with the Smithsonian and uh, in connection with schools and, and other parts of the country. It's one of my passions to reach uh, young people in this regard and to have them think differently about the things that they confront every day and maybe don't even give a lot of conscious thought to, that you can keep it fun, though, at the same time. It doesn't have to tarnish the stuff that you love to think about it critically. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what education should be. I mean, no one was able to get through to me in school. <laughs> no, nobody. I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay attention to anything, and um, and because it was just uh, like English class was just very boring to me. Yeah. In the reading assignments, I had absolutely no interest in whatsoever. I didn't care about where the red fern grows or <laughs> you know whatever. I just. I just didn't, and there was nothing you could do. I was good at math, but that's, I was just naturally good at math. I didn't need to pay attention to the yeah. teacher or anything like that. I just saw the formulas, and they made sense to me. But no one ever, ever was able to get through to me. And um, and I'm sure there's a lot of kids like that out there, and and I think that's amazing if, if yeah. you can make education interesting because it doesn't even really matter what you're teaching so much no. if you create excitement then people will educate themselves and inform themselves more and, and start studying on their own and looking into yeah. and if a teacher yeah. can do that yeah. then you you're right you're right that's one of our great secrets as as instructors certainly at the college level is that the subject matter is just an occasion to hone different ways of thinking mm -hmm. and so I can I can plug on in almost anything and get the the things that I want my students to take away from the course activated. Right. You know those habits of thinking, critical approaches, ways of of looking at language with a sense of of wonder, but then also understanding that you can retain that wonder and still have a technical understanding of how that wonder gets generated. So it's also something that credits the artistry, the craft of musicians, singers, rappers, and other performers. That's another big part of what we do is just to, to unlock that craft and mm -hmm. to say, yes, you, you too can, can participate in the craft or you can just have a more deep and resonant connection to other people's craft as it enters your ears. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've, I'm excited for your new book because I don't like pop music at all <laughs> and i'm hoping that j just like i wouldn't have liked um you know the old school rap stuff without any appreciation i'm i'm hoping uh, what what exactly is your new book going to be about i, re I read the um uh, first few pages yeah yeah hot off the press and yeah. even really before the press but uh, it's called the poetry of pop and it's a defines pop pretty broadly with nick hornby the the great british uh music writer and novelist who defines pop as everything but classical music. <laughs> and so I pursue that same definition oh, okay. and, and think about uh, popular music in English 
from Tin Pan Alley days in the 1920s, with, you know, I Got Rhythm or whatever, the Gershwins and, and Ira, you know, Ira, uh, gosh, you know, the Gershwins and, and, and them all the way up to the present moment. So mm-hmm. through uh, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Stevie oh. Wonder, you know, Nirvana, your your guys. All right. Well, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. See, I think of I think of pop as yeah. like Katy Perry, like you. And like well, you that mentioned. too. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I actually have a, an extended uh, analysis of that song "Firework," which is a, a horrendous lyric. I mean, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? You know, t- taken by the wind. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even remember all of it, but but it's yeah. it's wonderful actually to analyze something like that on the page and and to to at once recognize the absurdity and silliness of it, but also the way that even that silliness has a conscious craft that's meant to seduce us. You know, there's a a way now where popular music is defined by the hook. The hook we used to think about as basically a a line in the chorus that you'd hear two or three times in a given song. And it would be the, you know, as, as uh, blues traveler once said, the hook brings you back, you know, Mm. on that you can rely but now there's a hook probably every seven seconds. I think that's the that's the math that, that a lot of producers do now. They they stitch hookish things into the song so that you get uh, a song by Taylor Swift where every you know, seven seconds there's something that's going to draw you in, something memorable that's going to make you uh, kind of be a kind of earworm that, that sticks in your head, and and that's where we're, we're headed. I think with contemporary music, but yet we also have the flip side of that where artists will reject that premise and, and go a whole different way and, and resist the, the, the effort to make everything you know, work with the, the function of our brains. You know, there's, I think there's a neuroscientific grounding to a lot of the ways that popular music today has evolved mm. to the focus on repetition, but also repetition with a difference to mm. satisfy certain inborn aspects of our, of our, of our minds, of our psyches, both the brain itself, but also the culture surrounding how we think and how we consume art. Oh, that's interesting. I actually have had a, one of my first episodes was uh, with this uh, woman, Morgan, Morgan Ward, who, um, it, she talked about how um, how if, if people are casual listeners of music, they uh-huh. often they often like just kind of hearing the same stuff over and over again yeah. because there's just it, you know a lot of times you're doing other things or errands or whatever else, and so you don't really have to pay attention. And new stuff will kind of um, be almost off putting because right. because your brain has to work more. And the brain doesn't like working if it doesn't have to, whereas people that listen to lots of music all the time have the opposite problem where, <laughs> where then they get bored with it. And, and, and so they need to, um, you know, when they're, just, when they're really focusing on the music and listening to a lot of it, then they need constant more stimulation all the time. So, so yeah, I think there is a lot of, uh, a lot of neuroscience um, uh, to be studied and um, very interesting ideas. I, I look forward to... Uh, 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 reading your your new book, what's the name of it again? Poetry of Pop. And When's it, it coming out? I'm hoping that it'll come out late 2016. But okay. you know, it all it goes with the vicissitudes of the publishing house and and their decisions on when it can best be marketed. But that's the aim to have it out late 2016, early 2017.
just in time for all of the listeners to have finished reading all of your other books. <laughs> That's right. Which you can go to the herewearepodcast.com website, which uh, I'll have the link for the uh, charity VH1. Uh, Save the Music Foundation. Save the Music Foundation and um, and Adam's site. What, is it just adambradley.com? Adamfbradley.com. Adamfbradley.com. Right. And so if you don't remember that, you can go to the Here We Are podcast dot com website and all the links will be there for you thank you so much adam for joining me this Shane. has been a great conversation man i appreciate man, it this it. was great i hope hope we get to do it again yeah yeah i would love to do that all right terrific thank you guys for listening and i'll talk with you next week thank you guys for listening i hope you guys enjoyed that one that was a real fun conversation i hope you learned a little bit as well, um, I hope I increased my street cred, uh, which I imagine I was al- already pretty high in your mind, uh, but uh, <laughs> even higher now. I am definitely going to have Adam Bradley back on the program as soon as I possibly can, hopefully by the end of the year sometime or something. So remember, you can always go to the herewearepodcast.com website, go click on Ask a Scientist, and and you can um, that, those go directly to me. You can ask any questions that you would like to uh, me to follow up with uh, Adam next time I have him on, and, and just in general, any questions that you might have about science or life or any suggestions you might have for the show, uh, you can go on and write to me directly on there. I always like hearing from you guys. And uh, if it takes me a few days to get back, I apologize, but I try to get back to every single one of you. Um, And uh, yeah, that's about it. Next week on the program, I have uh, uh, Phil Fernbach on who um, we're, this is a very timely episode with all the political circus going on right now. I, uh, it, if you want my personal opinion, everybody, I suggest spending as little time as possible in this whole campaign ridiculous fake show that they're putting on. Um, it's not real. It's not terribly important. Um, Maybe it is. Maybe it's super important. Uh, We're electing a president, and that's going to change a lot of things. And this is a there's a lot at stake, and we need to know what each candidate is yelling about and and lying about. Uh, I don't think that it is. I think it's uh, not important in the slightest. I think that science and learning and understanding is important, and I have not seen a candidate that backs that in any way. So that's just my personal opinion. But um, So do with that what you will. But next week on the program, we're going to be talking a lot about political extremism, um, which maybe I just showed there. Maybe that was just me being guilty of it. Political extremism um, supported by kind of an illusion of understanding. And uh, this is is very interesting... Um, stuff. There's this. Uh, oh, what is the? Uh, there's like this idea of that that you're welcome to look into um, ahead of time. We're going to be talking a bit about it. The uh, it's the um, illusion. Uh, oh yeah, illusion of explanatory depth. Just um, that often we kind of tell ourselves that we have things figured out more than more than we do and uh and i 
this was a real fun conversation. I mean, this is a lot about what this show is about. Uh, each week I go and I talk with a professor who explains to uh, me um, in a very nice way how little I know. And I think uh, that's very important and eye-opening. And um, I, I think I think our brain often tricks us into being much too sure of ourselves and uh i'm i'm as guilty of this as anybody but this is uh this is a really interesting topic for me and i think you guys are going to um really get a kick out of it and it was just uh, uh philip's just a interesting uh, uh phil i don't know why i call it. i think he goes by phil uh, uh phil's an interesting guy who's just a great conversationalist and and we had a real fun chat so tune in next week um you guys are awesome i hope you enjoyed this and and are enjoying this program and uh new listeners who i i tricked you into hearing about science by grabbing your attention um with a hip-hop themed show um congratulations you're now listening to a fun and enlightening podcast. At least that's what I'm going for. So uh, tune in next week, guys, and I'll talk with you soon. Thank you. say uh seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing boris karloff what would it what would that be like (laughs) it might go something like this oh mr karloff i loved you and frankenstein and i love giving you a blowjob why mr seinfeld i'd love having you fuck 